Um, so let's turn, if you would, to Revelations 3. I'll read verses 14 through 22, and then we'll look at it together. So Revelations 3, 14, as I said, the last and final of the seven messages, this one being to the church in Laodicea, it says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on the throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if you'll just jump with me back to that 14th verse, let's look at that again. This is as each of these messages begins, primarily, first and foremost, most essentially, as a revelation of Jesus. Ultimately, that is the most important thing. It's the revelation, the unveiling, seeing who Jesus is. And the revelation of Jesus here in this 14th verse, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen says the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And so we start here with the understanding of Jesus as the amen, which is an amazing word, by the way. Its roots in the original Hebrew language. Some people would say amen as it's kind of morphed and made its way into almost every known language around the planet. Not literally, but it's probably the most well-known word on the planet that begins with the Hebrew origin, which is most linked to the, uh, the Hebrew word for faith. The idea of the word amen, as many of you would know, if you say it at the end of a prayer, what you're saying is so be it. These things that we just prayed, let it be. This is right. You may notice in, if you read the King James version of the Gospels, you hear Jesus saying, verily, verily, I say unto you. Anyone ever read that or am I too old? Uh, no, actually, some of you are maybe older. Anyways. Verily, verily, King James English, that what he's saying there is the exact same word. Amen, amen. If you say it on the front of the sentence, the idea is what I'm about to say is absolutely bona fide, rock solid, true. You can depend upon it. These things says the amen. The one who is absolutely rock solid, true, can't be pushed. This is dependable. The faithful and true witness. The idea of Jesus being, again, very similar. The whole, all of these are the idea of him being rock solid, immovable. He's the faithful, he's the true. The idea of true there being tested to make sure it's quality, kind of like we here in Detroit, as I said a few weeks ago, we test our cars before we release them to the public. We hope Ford just had a problem with their old F-150, but that's another story. You follow what I'm saying? We test. We do it on a test track. We make sure that it's true. 
that it's ready to be released. It's safe for public consumption. Jesus is the faithful and true. He's tested. He's true. And he's the beginning of all creation, which is to say he's the origin. He's the beginning point. Everything that we see and know all begins with Jesus. In other words, he's the bedrock. You can't go down any further and find a more sure foundation than Jesus. He's where it all started. You, are you getting the idea of how Jesus is revealing himself to this church in Laodicea, it's that he is absolutely, definitively, yes. He's absolutely immovable. He's totally dependable. He is, there's no wavering here. He's not kind of in and out. He's amen. You understand what I'm trying to get at. And so why is this relevant? Because of what Jesus is saying to this church in Laodicea. And make no mistake about it, what he says to every of the seven churches is relevant to us today. And so let's look at that, this next verse. Verse 15. I know your works, as he says to every church, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish, Jesus says, that you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This morning, as I do pretty much every single morning, I go down, I wake up in the morning, my alarm goes off first, I go downstairs and, you know, kind of get my eyes open, walk into the kitchen, flip the light on, and I go to priority number one. I mean, I know, G- yeah, the dog, the dog is part of this usually, but it's that, it's that espresso maker. And uh, Minda, I always have to think, when is Minda getting up today? Because if it's going to be a while from now, I don't need to make her, her portion of coffee. I just need to make mine. But if she is getting up, I'm going to make both of ours. Why is it important for me to know when Minda's going to get up? Because she doesn't want lukewarm coffee. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's gross. It's not meant to be. It's unnatural. Well, for Jesus, <laughs> for Jesus, the church is not meant to be lukewarm. It's unnatural. It's, it's heinous. It's disgusting. To be the ones on the planet who have a revelation of who Jesus is, to have seen him, to know him, and to have found ourselves in a place of lukewarmness is disgusting. It's the most disgusting picture. It's more heinous, far more heinous, than sinners doing what they do best in the earth. I don't want to get off subject, but the hypocrisy of a church who is lukewarm, who points a finger all the time at the, at the world, complaining about how they're changing the world and changing society and everything, we're not, they're, they're going to change society and they're going to change the world. And <laughs> if they're blind, more power to us, we've got the light. I'm not talking from an us versus them place. You don't understand what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to get on with who Jesus is. And stand in that revelation and that light and let that change every fiber of our being until that's all we are consumed with. Because he's worthy. So, verse 15. Yeah, so to, what, is, what is the idea of being hot? The hot, hot, I think, clearly would be very definite. It would be zealous. It would be, to be hot would be... Uh, Every fiber of your being, like I just said, is, is consumed with, with Jesus and with passion for him. What is, 
to be lukewarm, I think it would, it would speak of exactly what lukewarm is. It's neither hot nor cold, there, therefore it's a mixture. You're mixing hot and cold. You're balancing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into some stuff here uh, for all of us. Jesus has not called us to balance. Uh, having met with Jesus and when Jesus is doing something in his church, and can I bring this to home for us, what we encountered this past week is life-changing. What Anton and Ange brought into the life of this church, and even what, what happened this past Thursday, just as we gathered together and reflected around it. There's something that's happening in the life of many people, none of whom are here, but <laughs> the, 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 a bunch of them, yes, not, not to, yeah, me. <laughs> I just lost points with the crowd, a whole bunch of whom can't make it today. That would be a much more gracious way of saying it <laughs> to honor you guys who are here. Um, but... There's something happening, but let me say without the shadow of a doubt, when we make a definitive crossing of a line, as some of us did literally two Thursdays ago in our living room where people responded to the opportunity for prayer, and there are some people in this room, I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out, who I know it was not easy to step forward and to come forward with prayer, and I know that that act of obedience resulted in a touch from God. Something of a perhaps life-changing thing. Let me say assuredly, verily, verily, I would say unto you, when you make that step, there is an enemy who is threatened, who wants to get you to go back on the other side of that line. And the thing is called compromise. Now, some of us think of compromise as you sleep with somebody who's not your spouse or something like that. Sure, that is compromise, but compromise can be a whole lot more subtle than that. It can be as simple as eating the fruit that God forbade. How bad really could that be? It's a fruit. Come on. In fact, it's got so many good qualities that would help you. Do you follow what I'm saying? Innocuous things that just take our heart of obedience and passion and mix it with a little something else. Balance it. Hot, but also a little cold. Do you follow what I'm saying? There's an enemy who wants to bring us back into that place. Why? Because we are not powerful in so much as we are lukewarm. In so much as we are hot, we are most powerful. I'm just going to say a couple thoughts in, in particular of what balance can look like. Spiritual, but not too spiritual. Live by faith, but be realistic too. And, and please don't mishear me. I don't think that if you're living by faith, it doesn't mean you don't have anything that's realistic in your thinking. But if God says, if God's leading you to do something that makes no sense, there's no realistic in it. The leap of faith is going to require you to step into something that you cannot feel or understand or see or touch. or You have to receive it by faith. You follow what I'm saying? So live by faith, but also be realistic. Let's balance, live a balanced life. Did Jesus ref reflect a balanced life? <laughs> did, did the apostles, who all of whom, except for John, were martyred on Jesus' behalf, did they live a balanced life? Do you think their parents would have said, well, that's good. I'm glad that you have faith and balance. Le uh, depend upon God, but also take some things into my own hands. Live righteously, but let's dabble in a little sin. 
and it's not so bad, right? We love Jesus, but also open to other pathways to God. I mean, after all, we don't want to be judgmental against other people. Well, I mean, it's not judgmental. If Jesus is the way to God, we're not judging others for believing there's another way. I've, I've experienced the way to God. Do you follow what I'm saying? Love Jesus. Embrace solid doctrine, except some of the truth that's maybe a little bit too uncomfortable. Serve God's call, but also try to fit that around my pursuits and my goals. Any of what we just said, at the end of the day, giving ourselves to any of those things ultimately is rooted in not believing who Jesus really is. This is not a, you don't believe who Jesus really is. It's a heart issue. It's not a performance issue. It's accepting and opening your heart up to seeing who he really is, which is the whole idea of revelations. Revelation. It's seeing who Jesus is, that the church would see him as he is and relate to him accordingly. If you see him who he, as, as who he is, all you can do is love him. All you can do is depend upon him. All you can do is follow him in faith. All you can do is, you know, serve his call, so on and so forth. I believe that this is a time for us to be zealous. And what that looks like is surrender. It looks like surrender, surrender our heart. Uh, many of us talked about on Thursday having uh, this desire to spend more time in prayer, not because like something happened with Anton and Anne's when they came here and we became like elevated, awesome Christians, like we're like really good Christians now. It's because the wooing of God, we've been touched by God and it woos our hearts to wanting, to, to, to and craving after and feeling uncomfortable not having his presence and, and it's what I'm wanting to do is speak over us as a church family and speak into that and say, give ourselves to that. Don't let those little temptations to just kind of, you know what, I'm tired now. Uh, I've touched, I've been touched by God recently and, and, and man, that was good, but you know, I'm tired or, or maybe I just want to, you know, watch something that I can just tune my head off and just kind of stare at a screen for a while or or whatever. I, what I'm saying is speak over that spiritual hunger that's been birthed because it's leading us somewhere. Allow it to take us there. Don't go back to where we were. And I want to encourage us with that. So how do we become lukewarm? Maybe if we can look at the next verse, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Hit pause there. How do we become lukewarm? In our hearts, at, in some way, shape, or form, we believe we don't really need Jesus. No Christian probably would say, oh, I don't need Jesus. But in our hearts, Jesus himself speaking to his church in these words we're reading would say that many of his followers basically relate to him that I don't really need you. And so I would say two things about that. Like, how do we get there? One is the pride that all of us perpetually battle. There is an... All of us have pride. It may manifest differently. All of us have pride. And it's, it's, pride f takes its ultimate form in feeling as though we do not need, we don't need God. When you're touched by God, and I think about Paul Kulik, a few, you know, he co comes forward. And he says some pretty, um, in front of all of us, says some pretty candid, vulnerable things. 
of how he's been prideful. And I believe that, that it, if, it's almost like he opened up a door for God to just come right in. And he admitted his true state in front of all of us. And then there was that prophetic act that Anton had him sit down and prop up his legs. And, and he just starts laughing hysterically. And he ta- starts talking about how this feels like this burden's lifted off, off his shoulders. What was that? That was somebody who had some form of thinking that they were rich. And what does it say? rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Now, I'm not saying Paul Kulik literally believed that. I'm saying all of us in some way, shape, or form have this attitude inside of us. I'm, re- I'm wealthy. I've, I don't have a need of anything. And he came to the realization he's actually miserable, poor, wretched, blind, and naked. That needs to be explained further. We'll get there. I'm not saying... <laughs> Paul, are you listening to this message online? You're, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> All of, all of us have, what I'm saying is it's the recognition of our true state, our need for God. That opened up a channel into Paul's heart where he encountered God and his life has changed. And the next week, his wife is talking about how I keep finding Paul outside reading his Bible. I never find him out there reading his Bible endlessly. What happened? Somebody humbled themselves and saw their condition and and opened up and said, I need you, Lord. And he came in to that invitation, came in and dined with Paul, just like he, Jesus says at the end of this passage. I hope I'm making sense. So what are the elements here? The one is pride. All of us have pride. All of us contend with pride all the time because we're born in a situation that we believe because we don't see God. We don't actually need God. In fact, it's only the really super spiritual people who like actually live as though they need God. And that's abnormal in the kingdom of, of heaven. It's normal to know our absolute total need for God for everything. And to live as though that is true. The second thing, I think pride one is one thing. And the other thing is something that can cause that prideful attitude to happen. And uh, I, I don't mean to disappoint here, but is when we are naturally comfortable. When, we, when things are going well. And it's a funny thing that, that we inherently, instinctively desire to find a place in life where things go well for us. Who in the world, in fact, pursues difficulty? (laughs) Who runs after things not going well? All of us want to have loads of cash in the bank account. We want to have a nest egg. We want to have everybody healthy. We want to have all the stuff going right. We want to be popular and have everybody like us. And we want all that stuff because it feels good. And that's those things tend, because of our pride, to lead us to a place where we stop relying on God. And the contrary is also true, that difficulties in life, trials, seasons of difficulty tend to get us to open up and to see that we actually have need. For in Paul's sake, and I don't mean to keep on picking up Paul, but he's not here, so I, you know, I've got liberty to do it. He was seeing something that was a negative, a negative effect in his life of something that was not coming under the lordship of Jesus as it should. And he reached a point where he says, I don't want to go any further. I want to acknowledge what I need, and I want it now. You understand what I'm saying? The, the, what I'm getting at is sometimes it's the difficulties in life that are our biggest blessings. Not because we, God wants us to forever be there, 
but sometimes because of our pride and our frailty, that's what we have to have. Paul the Apostle himself said, I would rather boast in my weaknesses, in this difficult stuff that God allows in my life. In fact, in his case, he said it was an angel of Satan that came to buffet him, and he sought the Lord three times to be delivered, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he came out of that saying, you know what? I'm going to rejoice when I'm going through suffering. Why? Because I know that it's where I'm weak he becomes strong. Is it because if you suffer, you become strong? No, it's because if you suffer, you tend to lean on God in a real way, and that is where he is strong in and through you. Are you following what I'm saying? In this season where God's kind of been turning up the heat a little bit in the spirit, there might be some suffering, there might be some difficulty coming our way and in our way, and that's okay. Take comfort. Take comfort that God's bigger than that and allow the Lord to use that to drive us deeper into Jesus. So let's go on to this next thing. Because you say I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. For the sake of time, I don't really want to go deep into that. I just want to, you know, say in our own circumstances, in our own case, I, I can reference back in in. Uh, 2018, two, roughly two years after we came, and I've, I've told the story several times, some of you have heard it, but just to quickly reference it, in 2018, you know, we had planted the church, Minda and I found ourselves in a, well, <laughs> if I were to list all the challenges that we were facing in our life during that time, uh, time would not afford us the ability, I mean, it was like literally every single thing that we could look at in our lives felt like it was just being destroyed. The only thing uh, was these two boys here who were uh, were amazing and have continued to be amazing. Other than that, it was challenge upon challenge upon challenge. And I can remember back in those days, I say it often, I had this sense come over me, this like weight, this heavy, heavy feeling of, of hopelessness. And I knew that it can't be true but I didn't feel anything different. You know what I'm saying? Like, I knew theologically hopelessness can't be right, but, man, that's all I felt. That's all I saw. That's, and I remember feeling as though I, my body wanted to get as low as it could. I just wanted to, like, lay down on the ground. I wanted to go outside and lie down on the earth and just be swallowed up. It just it, this weird feeling that I had. It was intense depression. And I began to read the Psalms of David during that time out of sheer desperation, not knowing what to do. And I read the Psalms of David, a man who cried out to God in the midst of, you know, untold difficulties and challenges. And he sought the Lord and he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I began to, everything that David, all the Psalms where David would cry out to God in the midst of challenge, I would say those same words back to God and I would make it my reflection. And, uh, and one of those Psalms began to said to, to shout and to cry aloud to God for the, for the victory, and I think it's Psalm 69, if I remember correctly, and so I began to do that, and I came into a season of just shouting, and I would shut our door, and I would, I would just, sh I would, you know, I didn't want to freak my kids out, and so I'd like, shout, a whisper shout, but you know what I'm saying, I'd be like, praise you, Lord, did I feel like doing it? No, but, but the feelings did change when I would do it, and I would begin to connect with the reality of, regardless of what I see here on this earth, of what I see in him, and that he's good, 
and my feelings began to shift. And as a consequence, my mental space began to shift and even ultimately my circumstances began to shift. But when those circumstances began to shift, that wasn't the, the joy to me. It was the God that I connected with because of suffering that I, was the real joy, circumstances, circumstances. You know what I'm saying? And so do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. There was a connection that I had. And mind you, I'm not some horrible, heinous Christian. I'm a guy who took his, I'm not, not to puff myself up, but, you know, I mean, I had sacrificially moved to South Africa with my family, served there, and then come to Detroit, not for any personal gain. What I'm getting at is my life wasn't like some miserable, wretched. I was serving Jesus, but I found areas of my heart during that season that were not serving Jesus, that did not believe Jesus, that were not content, whether abased or abounding, that were not really in faith, that needed more of Jesus, and it was those circumstances that caused me to connect with that more of Jesus. And today I'm so grateful for what I went through, and I'm beginning to learn to actually rejoice in suffering. What am I getting at is to understand our real state, be wary of feeling comfortable. Be wary of that. It is the little thing that lures the church into becoming lukewarm. And as cozy as the world is with Christians who are lukewarm, Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It is repulsive to me. Let's be wary of being comfortable. And now, this season that we're in right now, I believe is a time to allow zeal to rise up. Some radical stuff. I believe this is a time, I've spoken to some in the room, of a season of fasting. Some are feeling to fast in certain things. And it's not because anyone told them to. It's because they're feeling a desire to do it. That is right for this season. That is that, that thing in you that says, I want more of God, and I am willing to, I, I, I feel a need to put some things behind to pursue more of him. Give yourself to that in this season. Let's go on to the next verse, verse 18. What do we do? What should we do? How do we respond? What do we take out of this message? Here's what Jesus says. I counsel you, Jesus says, to, number one, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. That's the first part. Buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Do you know what uh, that's speaking of when we talk about gold refined in fire? That when you want to make something with gold, you put it in fire. You melt it. And one of the things it does is it, it, it causes the impurities to rise up to the surface. And so that you can skim off the top of that and, and, and get a, a, as pure of a gold as possible. Well, how many, what Jesus is saying here is buy from me, you're re, being refined like fire. And it's my doing, Jesus would say. Impurities that are inside of you are coming up to the surface. Buy gold from me in that season. Don't shirk the opportunity to gain more of me when you're in your what I was in in 2018, when you're in something like that, that's an opportunity to buy gold from Jesus. I came through that with gold that I have today. If I'm afflicted with stuff today, I've got a muscle formed that I didn't really have prior to that season on the same level, at least, of knowing what it is to praise God in the midst of absolute 
horror, but praise him and see him come through and to trust him. Other stuff can blow my way today, and it doesn't have the same effect. I don't feel like being swallowed into the earth anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I, my beeline right back to that, let me shut that door and, Jesus, please. Do my little whisper dance, my little whisper shout. So the first thing that we do, the first thing he counsels us to do is to buy gold from him uh, in the fire that you may be rich. And I would ask us the question this morning, are you perhaps, not everybody is necessarily, but are you experiencing the fire of trials and needs? Does that apply to you? Because if it does, I want to counsel, I want to suggest that we do what Jesus says, buy gold from him in this season. Allow that trial to cause you to seek, sink deeper into Jesus. Allow that need. What is that core need that is bothering your heart, tormenting your soul, tormenting your mind? You can actually use that thing that's trying to bring you down to become the very thing if you will respond in faith to become the very thing that pushes you forward. And let us remember that Goliath stood, the giant Goliath stood taunting the whole army of Israel. And because of David's response to Goliath and lopping off that giant's head, that was the very thing that birthed faith in the people of God that the Philistines cannot conquer us. The giant became the very thing that caused faith to rise up throughout the house of Israel. And so let, let it be the same for you. The second thing that we do is buy white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. What are we talking about here? Righteousness, white garments. It speaks of righteousness, righteous living. What we're really getting at is repenting of any kind of known sin. And look, I, you know, it's... I feel like sometimes repentance has been so misrepresented in church because it's come from an attitude of this, like, judgmental, like, holy. Like, if you don't live holy, like, God isn't going to—you're not good with God. And, and it becomes this performance thing and this atmosphere of legalism. And I just want to make it clear, that's not what we're talking about. You're never going to be holy enough to be worthy of any of this stuff, you know? So that's not what we're talking about, but even though it's been abused in the church, repentance is not a four-letter word. It, it, and it is, a, it is a gift. It is a necessary gift. And the issue boils down to any known sin should not be tolerated at all within our heart. Why? Because we want to be so perfect and be su super Christians? No, because we love Jesus and, G and sin put Jesus on a cross. I don't want to have anything to do with sin. My sin put him on a cross. Sin is the enemy. And so any flirtation or dabbling in sin, we should be expelling that, never mind not to even mention any kind of strongholds of sin, repetitive patterns of sin. Jesus is saying, buy white garments. And he also says that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I've seen time and time and time again 
Jesus gives, as you even see in this book of Revelation, a space for repentance. And if we don't take him up on that, oftentimes, especially leaders, he'll expose the, the unrepented sin. He's saying, don't go there. Don't get to that place. Buy from me white garments. So everybody repeat after me. We're not talking about performance. You follow what I'm saying? This is love. But the love of God frees us from the enemy. The love of God leads us away from the enemy. And we can't just talk only about the love of God and all that kind of stuff and then go and do, live how we want and compromise and live in sin. So any known sin should be repented of. And if, if you sin, don't condemn yourself. You have an advocate. Jesus went to a cross for your sin. He still loves you, but it doesn't mean that we don't repent. We should live in a, in a lifestyle of repentance, being freed more and more from sin. I hope that's making sense. True, zealous faith, as what we're talking about in this season of our church, will look like, in, at least in part, repentance from these things. So I'm just wanting to ask the question, are we tolerating sin or compromise? Is there any area where we have tolerated it? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's a un, just general unbelief of any kind. Because as the scripture says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Anything like that. Are we tolerating sin or compromise? If so, can I say this morning, let's be zealous and repent. Let's call the enemy the enemy. If there's a line drawn, let's definitively be amen and on this side of that line and say, that's my enemy, and I no longer want to partner with you. I believe the truth of Jesus. Sure, if we, da if we waver in our sin, if we yield to temptation, there's a battle. That's all fine. Jesus walks with us through the battle. You may repent and find yourself having to repent again and repenting again and repenting again and repenting again. You may feel like, how oh, can Jesus even forgive me anymore. Trust me, he will. I'm not saying that it's sinless perfection, but repent. Confess. Okay, and then the third thing. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And I, I simply just want to point out uh, that when you, we get into that place, some of you in this room know exactly what I mean. When you get into that place of responding to God and that zealous place where God touches us and where we start pursuing him in a greater level and with more fervor and like Paul Kulik reading the scripture out in the garden, what, what begins to happen? Your, your eyes become anointed with eye salve. You start seeing things. This week in prayer, I, I started seeing things spiritually that, I, that, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's like a switch was flipped. It's like a floodgate was opened. I just start seeing stuff as I, you know, I'm, it's like I'm hearing the voice of God. I ask the question, was God speaking to me before this week? Or is it maybe that I wasn't really listening as fervently? It's that heart posture. It causes your eyes to be anointed with salve that you begin to see into the realm of the spirit. So the question for us this morning is, are our eyes dull to the spiritual? Do we feel as though we're not really hearing God's voice? Do we feel as though we're not really seeing into the things of the Spirit? 
Are we just seeing our life as natural and kind of tagging the Jesus thing into it? Or is it that we're, is it that we're actually, is it that we're actually seeing from the Spirit of God? If we're not, can we humble ourselves and, and allow the desire for God to rise up? Let's go to the 19th verse. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. And as I said uh, earlier, uh, this could, that could be relevant to some of us. A season of re- being rebuked, a season of perhaps of being chastened. And in so much as that is true, also a season of being zealous and, and repenting. Uh, and I just want to share a couple kind of thoughts about re- how Jesus rebukes and chastens us. One thought is this, is that uh, he rebukes and chastens us uh, sometimes through difficult circumstances. So in 2018, I referenced that earlier, I had difficult circumstances, very, very difficult circumstances. I believe that the Lord was allowing those to, bring, to have impurities brought to the surface. And so that's one way that the Lord can rebuke and chasten us. By the way, whose benefit was it that I had those negative circumstances? Exactly, it was me. So before I even go any further, let me say a huge point about the rebuking and chastening of the Lord. It is for our benefit. In fact, these boys I sometimes need to rebuke and chasten. They don't like that, I'm sure, but it's for their benefit. The Bible says that they are illegitimate children. They're not even really my sons if I'm not taking responsibility for them to show them the way that they need to live. And sometimes that involves correction. The same way Jesus does that with us, it's for our good is what I'm saying. But, but how do we know sometimes if, if that's happening in our life? Sometimes it's difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's the opposite of what God has promised. Remember Joseph? Joseph is, is promised authority and, and leadership, w- even with his family. And the very next thing that happens to him is that same family beats him up, throws him in the pit, and sells him as a slave. <laughs> The exact opposite of what God had promised in a, in a dream. And so sometimes that's the case, and yet God allows it to mature our faith to where Joseph ultimately did receive that promise. Sometimes rebuking and chastening uh, can look like our weaknesses being brought to the surface. Uh, an example of that would be, some of you would know, Peter the Apostle, right? As Jesus is uh, being uh, tried before he goes to the cross, and he says to Peter, before the cock crows three times, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Remember that story? And, uh, and he's like, never, not so, Lord. I will, I will die for you. And then he wouldn't even like confess the name Jesus within a few hours of that. The, the fear of man. God allowed that to come to the surface. Why? Because God had a call for Peter, and the fear of man had to be dealt with in order for him to enter that call. God does the exact same stuff with you and me. There's a call in your life and in my life. And stuff needs to come to the surface so that we can deal with it. Sadly, many Christians have that stuff come to the surface and they run from God and they bail and they never actually enter in. Most Christians probably, I would say. Let's not be of that. Let's let's allow the rebuke and chastening of the Lord to do what it's supposed to do. Bring us in. Verse 20, Behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come into him 
and dine with him and he with me. We've heard this, some of us have heard this verse many times. Oftentimes it's an evangelist speaking to people of how to get saved. Can I remind us that this scripture is speaking explicitly to Christians? Jesus is saying to his church, I stand at the door and knock. And so that's what Jesus is doing, even with what's happened over the past week or so. Jesus standing at the door, he's knocking. He's knocked on Paul Kulik's, on, on Paul Kulik's door. And thank you, Jesus, Paul open, flung that door wide open. And you see the f- manifested fruit of it. And some of you also did the same thing. But I want to say again, even if that does happen, there is an enemy that wants to get us deceived into closing that door back up. Well, yeah, I mean, that was awesome, but we need to kind of make sure it doesn't get too out of hand here. Mm-mm. So, let me just point something out here. Behold, I stand, at, I stand at the door and knock. Who's initiating here? If anyone hears my voice, which suggests he's knocking and he's calling out. And that's the issue. It's not gritting down, I'm going to fast and I'm going to make this thing happen. It's all fruitless if it's not responding to the voice. Jesus is the one building his church. He's the one doing a work in us. And so that's what we're calling out to, is hearing the voice of the shepherd and responding that. And if that's leading you into fasting, do it. If that's leading you into just giving yourself to more time reading the scripture in your garden like Paul Kulik has been doing, man, he better be acting like a super spiritual giant the next time he shows up, by the way, because he's gotten some serious airplay this morning. <laughs> so let's pray for Paul. <laughs> he's, he's probably under attack. No, I shouldn't say that. Uh, spiritual attack, I mean. Uh, lost my train of thought. Respond to what Jesus is saying. Exactly. I want, I want us to take the, the, the emphasis off of our performance and back onto our heart and to know that Jesus stands at the door of our heart knocking and calling out. That's what we do is respond to him. The steps that we take are in response to that voice. And if we will do that, he does come in and dine with us, which means intimacy of fellowship. That is absolutely life-changing and the most important thing. And it says in the next verse, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with him, excuse me, with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Can you just hit pause there and let the weight of what he just said to us settle over you? To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. The audacity of such a suggestion. As I also overcame and sat down with me on my throne. And it begs the question, how did Jesus overcome? He overcame by being absolute committed to his father. He overcame by being, when it came to the cross, and you and I both know, he in that Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, if it's possible, Lord, let this fo- cup of suffering pass for me. Nevertheless, 
not my will, yours be done. You know what that is? That's Jesus acting as though he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. How did he overcome? By being absolute, definitive, this side of the line, with God, not with the world, not with with the world, but not of the world. And he says, if you overcome, we will be granted this, just as he also overcame, suggesting that the way in which we overcome is similar to the way that he overcomes. And so what I'm saying is he's calling us to be with him, the amen, faithful and true. Is this making sense? To be not cold and certainly not lukewarm. Let's be hot. Let's, let's surrender. Let's dive into the, thing, the realm of faith. Let's surrender our pride. Let's surrender our fear of man. Let's surrender our uh, image and our need to be uh, esteemed. And let's surrender the financial risk. And let's surrender what we think may happen if this happens. It, all of that stuff is going to encounter anyone who follows Jesus by faith because if it's understood, it's not faith. There's always risk. There's always seeming cost. It always looks like sacrifice. It always looks like a cross to follow Jesus by faith. And, and, but there's always resurrection on the other side. There's always the kingdom on the other side. There's always salvation on the other side. But we have to surrender. See, can we just surrender? Surrender our spirit, even right now.